Hi friends, welcome back to the uh, DDODM podcast. Welcome to our lair, I guess, as it were. Past friends, thank you for listening and future friends, thank you for coming. Today I'm hoping to weave uh, an audio greater teleport spell. This week I've been struggling, I guess, or the last couple weeks maybe, with ideas that I can put out on the podcast that um, have enough traction that I can talk about <laughs> for longer than five or ten minutes. My last, since my last communication was about, uh, sorry, I, I wanted that to sound more like a, like um, from one of those space movies, like my last transmission. You know, anyways. I was driving home and I was struck by the idea that so many people on the internet and all around the internet always refer to um, Dungeons and Dragons. And I'll get into DDO in a minute. We're going to kind of go all over the place. Like I said, I'm going to kind of weave a greater teleport and hopefully you uh, stay with me. So I, I, it's going to be fun. I don't think it's going to be bad. I, otherwise, you know, my voice would be pitch lower. Well, used to listen to episode whatever and you'll see what I'm not into it. Anyways, I, I'm into this and I think it's interesting. So if you have the time to waste or you don't have access to the internet and you downloaded me and carried me into your, smuggled me into your place of work and you're passing the time that way or passing the time however you're passing it and I'm there, hopefully this um, this brings you with me. All around the internet. Dungeons and Dragons, and it's um, you know it's Matt Mercer's fault in Critical Role, and then uh, Joel Mangello and all these other folks. That Dungeons and Dragons is a um, it's really kind of bled into Hasbro and the into Wizards of the Coast. It's uh, obvious, especially if you're following the half elf thing that's going on and all the other changes that they're making that now people are, are they're like, hey, you're going too far. This is the funny thing about this whole, just as a sidebar, you know, the change from race to species and all the other stuff that they're changing in the book is that you can't really allow them to do that without uh, giving them carte blanche to, to, to reshape the whole thing. And regardless of how you feel about it because they're not changing it because of how you feel about it they're changing it because how they feel about it right so that's just something to consider so i've been against the race species change for a while i didn't mind the lineage or the heritage thing but um i thought changing it to species was really wrong um So there's a, if you're interested in what I'm talking about, I'm not going to get into it because I could get into it, uh, but you can Google uh, Dungeons and Dragons half-elf racist or some, something along those lines and, and the Google mach machine will, will, will spit you to the right, right places. So because of the uh, resurgence, I guess, the repopularization of Dungeons and Dragons, there's been this thought for... A few years that it's uh, 
a place where you act out your fantasies kind of thing. And um, I never, never really, uh, I, I don't really care how someone else takes the game, I guess, but um, that by and large is that statement that it's, it's you know, kind of like, like acting or like a performance that that when you play Dungeons and Dragons is not it's not true and I mean that this way I'll explain further like when I played as a kid um, Dungeons and Dragons was more of a shared delusion I still to this day and there's only been a few times I was with a couple of my friends and I I role played in character. I mean, I, meaning that we're at the table and a question came up and I spoke in character. The reason why is because, blimey, I think that I can't keep an accent for more than two lines without losing it. So I just can't, I can't do that. So I've never really been able to. Um, maybe when Braveheart came out, I could do a Scottish accent for a long time, but I just can't keep, I can't keep an accent. But that didn't stop me from really spending a lot of time at the table and uh, having a lot of fun with a, a lot of different people. I just, like maybe some of you, many of you, um, I never left this part of the table, so I'm always one of the guys that when I have my character, I always refer to my character in the third person, and um, I always say what he's going to do, like, oh, my character, you know, Joe, you know, Joe Sword Wielder, he, you know, he does this. You know, he says this. So I always speak of him in the third person. There's been a few times where I, like I said, I was comfortable with friends and we had a lot of fun. The funny thing is, the last time I did that was right before my friend went into the army and I had already, was a little older than him. So I'd already been uh, back home for a while and we got together for one last game before he left. And um, I wasn't going to have to DM it. I DM the last few times we'd gotten together. And this is another total sidebar. But I get to play, uh, I made a half-elf character that was a ranger, rogue type deal. And he uh, he was called Reed Ghost Elf. And he was, uh, uh, his, we were able to get, sometimes you're able to get like family heirlooms and stuff. A little bit of magic loot from the uh, DM before the game starts. And we had done a session zero. And I was able to get a ring uh, that was uh, an heirloom, and it allowed my um, my character Reed Ghost Elf to summon the the flame blade and use the wisdom to you know, all that stuff. So I think we modified it so that it used his decks, or so it used another score, I think. But it, but it was a funny score, and I don't remember why. But there was a reason for the build the way it was because he was mostly an archer, but then he would take out these blades and there were obviously blades made of fire and that's kind of intimidating, especially when you surprise somebody. Anyways, we never really finished the adventure. Um, we finished the, the adventure stopped, as I recall, with us being uh, um, captured, the party being captured, uh, our equipment being taken from us and us in different cells. So that's... And then we never picked up the game again. Actually, my friend... Uh, I had some medical issues. We just never and he moved across the country. So we've never been able to get together to finish it. So that's that. But it goes to, it speaks to the point of, of, of shared delusion, right? And I don't mean that necessarily in this terrible, terrible sense. 
but it's not role play in the sense that you're um, training for a job, right? And I would say I've been uh, involved in pretty heavy role plays, and sometimes people don't get it, but those role plays are supposed to be like a shared delusion. Like anytime you get like a firefighter or an ambulance team or something like that, like a doctor, right? Like a doctor, when a doctor goes through training, and they have you know high, all this high tech stuff for him to quote unquote role play some type of emergency emergency or surgery. That's um, he, they don't want him to act out that he's a doctor or role play that he's a doctor or role play that there's an emergency. They want him to believe that there's an emergency and then take the necessary action so he can you know build up muscle memory and build up the pathways neural pathways in his brain so that when a real emergency arises, he's not. You know, I've never been here before, flying off the cuff and coming up with stuff off the cuff. He knows he knows to keep calm and he knows what steps to follow. I hope that kind of explains like the difference between like role play, role play, and then there's that there's role play like that, and then there's um where like how a doctor would do it, right? Or like an airplane an airline pilot, I imagine would be fairly similar. I'm sure they go through these routines and you know, some guys take it more seriously than others, but I'm sure they want you to make sure that um you're taking it very seriously and you're putting yourself in your mind in a situation where the plane is actually going down and you need to take these steps to save your life and everyone else's life. And you see how my tone is even more serious, right? And we get like that when we play tabletop Dungeons and Dragons. Raise your hand, right? If you've ever played tabletop and you've ever played more than, you know, two or three sessions, sometimes the first session can be intense, but yeah, it's... um Dungeons and Dragons is it's a shared delusion. It has nothing to do with performance. Someone from the outside looking in might find value in viewing it that way. I'm sure that um, you know with Acquisitions Incorporated and the live Dungeons and Dragons uh, tabletop shows that uh, Wizards of the Coast has been putting on to try to you know you know many years ago they did all that with Will Wheaton and all that stuff and they try to get know more people interested or show them how to play or show them what it would look like um you know in, in an effort to market the game they kind of polluted what what it really is and it's it's this it's this shared delusion that we have with each other we, that's why we have rules we we agree on it that's why it's very session zero is so important you know because after session zero, you're really supposed to be there, like wherever you are, wherever the story puts you. That's, that's where you are, right? So, what does that have to do with DDO? Why am I talking about this in a DDO podcast? I was talking to a friend of mine. I've mentioned him many times, and I've talked to him about once a week. We get together and play DDO. And... Um, He's a lot more vocal than me, and uh, we've got about the same tabletop experience. Um, he's got a couple of years on me in the game. I started 2008, you started 2006. And I'm not going to mention his name or name drop him. Um, this was the uh, the first week. Um, all right, I'm, I'm lying to you. So this is the second week that I've had people... Um, actually get in touch with me on the forums using my forums name that's why and actually the podcast the ddo podcast is my forum name if you were wondering my ddo forum name that's so if people want to you know ask me questions or find something out or say something that i was wrong about something they can um i've actually had the last couple weeks i've had people uh 
actually messaged me. So that was interesting and, and nice. So I feel kind of responsible, I guess, now to uh, just be represent myself as true as I can. Um, because what I think is really great about DDO and what I think for as long as I joined DDO, because I joined DDO in 2008 before free-to-play and before, like, while well, there was a long pause for um, new content. That's when I joined DDO. And so I'm not a free-to-play baby, and I know there's a lot of free-to-play babies out there who are veterans now, and I, you know, congratulations. <laughs> but I, I always joined, it used to be, a, when I was younger, I used to brag that I was before, before uh, free-to-play. Well, uh, I, I have uh, made one friend throughout this little journey when I started the podcast, He's been playing a couple years more than me. And the reason why I bring that up is because I started the podcast by, because, you know, there are some other content creators out there, and I I just feel like I, I really love the game, and, no, like, nobody is really, you know, I feel like nobody's really stepping up and putting us out there in this way, right? So I try to do it, um, you know, in the suggestion ideas thread at first. That's why I started the podcast to kind of push player ideas and, and push um, conversation among the player base about what do we want to see in DDO. Nobody knows what's more best for a DDO than 100 DDO players that have been playing for 17 years. N nobody else does um, because they've seen it all. And although you can't implement all their grandiose ideas, you can sure take a couple that they all agree on, and I'm sure it would be really helpful and uh, to Dungeons & Dragons Online. That's why I started the podcast. And I, I was struck because uh, the last episode we talked about the play-by-post, which was great. And I'll touch on that a little bit later. But the play-by-post was a lot of fun for me, and it reminded me of why I kind of did the podcast in the beginning. So I started talking to my friend, who is the same guy that, well, he's one of the guys. There's a lot of guys posting when I first made the po podcast, and he's one of the guys. He had a lot of stuff on the forum, so I just said, hey, I'm going to talk about this, and he was cool with it. So I'm not going to dime him out. I'm sure he doesn't care if I do, but I'm just not going to. Um, and one of the first uh, episodes had a, had a lot of his stuff in it, so... There was some stuff that I, he wrote that I didn't cover because I didn't think it was that great. <laughs> and I don't care if he hears that. But um, when Acolyte of the Skin came out, I remember he was so excited because he felt that spiritually it was um, you know, like a translation of, of his half-dragon template. And when I went back, and I did, I went back and I looked at uh, his template thing and, and more, not necessarily the enhancement tree that he had cooked up, but the words he had put down on the forum post made, I got the sense of, of what he meant, of how he felt. And certainly, when you look at it, um, it's not hard to imagine that as a, as a half-dragon being, right? The, when the fiendish symbiote, when you hit that, like those, those dragon wings that pop off the back look epic as shit. And they animate awesome and... Um, it's got a melee attack that's based on magic. I mean, it's very it's very interesting. Anyways, um, one of the reasons why I don't talk about the uh, 
suggestions and ideas read that much is number one there's not a lot of people posting in it anymore it just seems to have dried up a little bit and that's okay another part is the reason why I don't push it or even though I have my own ideas why I don't add my own ideas onto it is because I've heard it at least from one um, developer that they are afraid to get sued by using ideas that players post and when actually somebody told that to me and then I researched it um, and then I found out that it was true and then when my buddy said hey this is I think they you know they kind of this is a spiritual representation of what I want for Half Dragon and I was like I kind of understood right because you know there, at least they, there was enough of, of, of a web of, uh, of ideas that connected enough to allow me to believe uh, what he was telling me And I love the Acolyte of the Skin. I loved it since it came out. I thought it was great. Um, but I don't... I think there are issues with it that need to be addressed. Um, and I I covered them in a podcast called uh, Acolyte of the Skin, Does It Bring the Heat? And I always wondered why content creators never just spouted whatever they were going to spout after they said... After they... You know, why they always refer to you to their old content. And it's just because it's... It's just more involved. It doesn't do the, the topic any justice for me to just give you one or two sentences because I don't think it's a one or two sentence fix. I think it's a conversation. So there is a podcast where I get a little bit more in depth about it. But that also led me to uh, back to pen and paper and I started looking uh, you know, at the Warlock in the 5th edition and I remember I did cover, I had a Hexblade episode that it was my earliest, one of my earlier episodes and I, don't, I wasn't able to do it that great. But at least they did it, right? And uh, the whole point is to get DDU out there and to get more players and to generate buzz and to generate conversation and to be in the conversation, right? <laughs> if you don't have a podcast, whether it's good or bad, it can't be in the conversation, right? So um, I just want people to talk about DDO, right? So I did the Hexblade con- uh, podcast episode, and it was based on the 3.5 version, which is, I think, very easy for a player to emulate in DDO. I think if you wanted to, because I've tested this a bunch and I was supposed to do an episode on it, but I just, I lost interest. <laughs> but you, you could easily build a um, a 3.5 hex blade in DDO. Um, you could do it many, many different ways. Um, an easy way would be um, a 14 dark, dark apostate and then six uh, six paladin. That's an, that's an easy way. You could do... Um, You could do um, two wizard, uh, three fighter, 15 cleric, dark apostate. Um, if you wanted to not be of good alignment or not be lawful good. But the Hexblade does have a lot of, in common with, the class features have a lot in common with the uh, Paladin. That's why my first suggestion to you is the Paladin. And you'll just have to role play that your alignment is different. Well, you could very easily, and I think it, it's actually, you know, the the Dark Apostate would actually be a better interpretation of the 3.5 Hexblade, because the 3.5 Hexblade is notoriously underpowered, and I did even more research after the episode end, because uh, there was more talk on the forums, and I, my buddy had got a message about it, but it's not his podcast, it's my podcast, so we started talking about it, 
And, you know, we talked to, I talked about that for like, after I did the episode, I talked to him, I talked about it for like another week and a half, just in my DDO life, at least the Hexblade 3.5. So after talking about the accolade of the skin and, you know, the references my buddy had made, and then the inferences I could draw as well, definitely visually, I could see there was a, a lot of what he described, I felt like was there. I mean, I wasn't going to lie to you. I thought it was very similar to what he described. Um, the application was different, and they decided to go with Warlock. And even though there was a, a Fiend Pact already, they decided to go with Accolade of the Skin. And if you go back, actually what I did was, he had told me about a, an, a first thread. My friend had told me he had done a half-straggle racial template-like, kind of like question thread. And there's some spitballing in there that happens and some back and forth. And um, it really, uh, it, it, when I got to that, and then I linked it to the next one, the iteration two, which is kind of, you know, more cemented form of it. I, I realized, well, yeah, there's, there's probably something here. But playing the Warlock as much as I did, I played it for almost uh, two months at Endgame, and I got a lot, a lot of gear. I've never learned any of these Endgame quests. I had a lot of fun with it. But um, I actually was talking to some of my uh, tabletop friends about a DDO and a lot of them play it or have played it but they don't play on the server with me and we generally don't play together we have but we just generally don't um, we play video games differently I guess <laughs> but they, they just don't really play it's quite I've dragged them into it and they got hooked for a little bit but they they generally just don't play they don't see the characters like I see them. So, they don't play. But after talking with them about this incident with the half-dragon and the accolade of the skin and not really worried about if there was anything there, like if there was smoke or fire there I wasn't concerned about that I was concerned about have you ever heard of somebody getting sued by this and no and I just I really just questioned the whole pol like the whole company policy um, but it made me start to wonder in general about about how to improve the game. How do we actually suggest how to improve the game then if they're so fucking afraid of their their consumer base that we're going to sue them for trying to make something we love better? I don't really confused by that. Um, really confused by that. Now that those who wanted to argue with that point have argued as much as they probably could with that point. Uh, our moment of silence will be over and I'll continue. So, I did the Accolade of the Skin update video after I'd played it for almost two months or two months, however long I played it. I don't remember now, but I played it for a while at Endgame and I don't play Endgame. I just stick to the TR stuff. You know, most of my friends don't play anymore. I play with that one kid every once in a while and we mostly just talk over the internet. You know, I don't usually play with him. So, 
I did the podcast and in my podcast, I started, you know, before I did it, I thought about it and made some notes. And one of the things I thought of is, well, you know, there's already a melee attack kind of thing happening. Wouldn't it be cool if you could create a great sword or choose whatever weapon you wanted, but it would take the aspect of the Eldritch Blast. So it wouldn't be a great sword, but it would kind of act like a great sword, right? And then you would be able to upgrade the sword part, like it would just be a great sword, but attached to the great sword would be your Eldritch Blast damage. And then the great sword itself, because it is still a weapon that you possess or you create, you could still upgrade it and enhance it like you would a normal sword. But it is specifically tied to you. And I remember specifically in the episode talking about now you can give everybody a sword of shadows because you could do this. And after that, I had conversations with a couple of people and they, one of them was my tabletop friends who I spoke to first. And this is what led me to it. They said, dude, you're talking about the Pact of the Blade Hexblade. It's already out in 5E. It's been out for years. And I'm like, what? So I went and I looked it up and that's it's true it already exists somebody already thought of it and uh i was shocked so i started reading about it and i'd never really when i played dungeons and dragons a warlock was out but you know my friends and i were never really interested i had one friend that was into it but he was more like he was like a scary friend when he was into it like he was kind of the guy that like he was he liked the occult and he kind of wished that D&D was like the occult and that like we really were worshiping the devil. He was that kind of a friend. So it wasn't really my friend per se, but he was included in the group of friends I knew. So he kind of liked Dungeons and Dragons and liked that it might be subversive in a satanic way. So he was the only person I ever know to ever play a warlock, even though I've, I've run into... Uh, even though I've played at local comic shops, three of them in my hometown, and when I was in the army, I went out and tried local shops with friends in, while I was in the army and with friends. So I've watched, seen, and, and played all, you know, all around the country. I just, I didn't know Warlock was so popular because I had never seen it. And it could be that I'm just an older player and it just, there wasn't as many options, you know? But you know what my friend, uh, that, I kind of want to say this before I lose it because I, I lost it already once. My friend was talking to me about the Warlock and the Hexblade and the Pact of the Blade and all this. And um, I was telling him a little bit about my experience. And he's like, yeah, sometimes it can. Uh, he said, sometimes in some iterations of the Warlock, you feel like you play like a low rent sorcerer. And that just was like, bing, like, yes. I t- and I mentioned that in the podcast, which is, you know, I don't know, a month ago now or a few weeks ago was... That's exactly how I felt. Like, I, I'm playing a sorcerer. I just don't have as many options. You know, it's exactly how I felt. And that's what led me to create the podcast about, well, what can we do to fix it? And then then I was, I was um, enlightened about this Hexblade Pact of the Blade Warlock. And if you're not familiar, briefly, the Hexblade Paladin, or the Hexblade, excuse me, there's a, a couple of overpowered classes you can uh, make, notoriously overpowered classes you can make. Um, the good thing is, and when you play tabletop, some people like to be number mid-max, or number crunchers like that, and what, you know they'll play the, you know, the Polar Mastery stuff, and uh, they call that the Pam build. They'll call that, so you'll have someone to play like, uh, you know, somebody might play... Um, 
So somebody might play the um, Palloc, and then somebody might play a Hexadin. And uh, a Palloc is a Paladin Warlock. And um, you you know the most overpowered version would use the Polearm. And then the, the Hexadin would be a Sorcerer Warlock, and they would also use the Polearm because it's the best weapon, right? So you have to have it. The great thing about when you get into any type of tabletop stuff is you're always going to find people who just love to build characters and you'll find stuff that's that makes sense mechanically and that the numbers and the feats and everything line up but you'll find that not everybody does that you know the issue with this is the issue with ddos are always balancing against you know a few idiots that you know, are you either using broken mechanics, unexplained things that they've figured out about the game? Um, no, it's balancing around that one percent, and it, it just hurts the whole community. I will say that I haven't known noticed that to be the case since I've been back since last September. Since last September, since I've been back, I think the developers have been doing great, and I don't feel like there's any type of adversarial. We're going to nerf your build because you sold my raid. Although I have heard stories over the last, uh, about the last year or two about some things that have happened. But I'm not going to discuss that. And to me, until I experience it, I'm going to assume that the company is not out to soak the players' walls and not out to destroy the game. I, th- I think uh, SSG is passionate and is trying to do the best uh, version of Dungeons & Dragons they can make. So that being said, um, f- discovering this um, Hexblade Warlock uh, briefly and from off the top of my head from what I can remember because I don't have the... It pulled up. But they get medium armor proficiency. If you start as a level one uh, Hexblade Warlock, you get medium armor proficiency and uh, proficiency with all martial and martial and simple weapons, I think... But then here's the here's the uh, here's the other thing. You get um, as long as you're wielding a one-handed weapon, or only, or excuse me, the weapon does not have the two-hand subtype. So that's the rules, as I recall, because I think I remember that pretty clearly. So as long if you're a hexblade warlock and you're not using a a weapon that does not have the two-handed uh, type, so I'm thinking just if you're wearing a long sword, short sword, scimitar. Hand axe, axe, dwarven axe, bastard sword. But bastard sword wouldn't count because it can technically be used as a two-handed weapon. So I don't think you'd be able to use that. I don't know. Either way, as long as you're using a one-handed weapon, you can add your charisma to hit and damage. Bar none. You just can. So that's pretty powerful. You know, that's that's why it's been one of the most uh, powerful dips. Now, there are many reasons why... People like to do paladin, or they. Um, some people do paladin sorcerer. Some people do bard. I've seen crazy, crazy builds, but you know, there's many different ways to build it. Um, there's a there's a very accepted ways to build this uh, hexblade, hexadin, palloc. There are many accepted and um, many off the beaten paths that are also accepted and widely recognized and then there are some really off the wall builds so it's a very very popular build on the internet and I had no idea it existed so I, I started looking into it and I uh, at um, you know level 3 when you're a, a warlock in 
a 5e, you can pick the Pact. And the Pact of the Blade, they give you like some story reasons about what, what it is. And they tell you that it's generally, you make a pact with like a weapon. They say it can't be intelligent, but it can be like basically a simulacrum or uh, a spiritual copy of the black razor sword, right? That's what they, all the um, literature leads you to the black razor sword. And that's what they iconically, and I'm thinking maybe when they wrote the class, that's what they had in mind is that you could summon the Black Razor. It's it's interesting to me to know because the Black Razor is a very famous sword and pen and paper for ages, and many people want one, but many people don't get one. And it's interesting to me the parallel thinking between, you know, you fast forward to the, the episode I had with the Acolyte of the Skin and me trying to help by suggesting this, you know, sword-type enhancement where you could have a great sword and everybody gets the Sword of Shadows, which is kind of like... Uh, DDO's spiritual Black Razor, even though we, we have the Black Razor, I guess the, the Sword of Shadows is one of those ones that everybody really wants that sword. So, so where am I going with all this, right? How does this relate to DDO? Well, I guess I just want to make the point that I'm, I'm, I am dismayed because uh, I had forgotten about the whole lawsuit thing and these people getting sued and all this. It's interesting to me that that a company, you can post something online and ask someone to use it, take it, and then they can refuse you based on the fact that they think they might get sued even though you literally give up all legal claim to it. You know? So... I mean, there is, um, I guess you, the only way I would, this is where I would, so I'm thinking about it, how, why would it be, the only time I think it could be a concern is if somebody was reinterpreting, because I know my buddy has reinterpreted 3.5 classes and used their same names. So he's used like, I, like Blade Singer, right? Like he's used that stuff. So that could be an issue because, you know, if you use something that's, you know, particular to some other book, I mean, I, I don't know if their license covers it. I don't know. I, I could see there being an issue there anyways, where, you know, you're claiming that this is yours to give away and it's not. You know what I mean? So that makes sense. Receiving stolen property, that kind of thing. I happen to know that the Half Dragon Rachel template that he came up with is was literally his all original idea and the only people he ripped off was Standing Stone Games when he peeled when he peeled the enhancements and, and copied and pasted some of them and I think that's why he was and still to this day you know he loves like me like Zach Light of the Skin I'm not as you know he, he's been making more and more different builds with it and trying all kinds of shit with it but I just think it's you know unfortunately I'm in the camp where I think that it's not enough. You know, I think because it came from, and this is what I'm going to say, I'll wrap it up, because I think it came from the Half-Dragon Rachel template and it was like, wasn't appropriately translated. So now they're at a loss with how to fix it. You know, I, I think that's the issue. Um, 
If you haven't read the Half Dragon Racial Template, there's Iteration 2, which I would recommend, because that's really, I think that's, quite frankly, a, if you read the post, and then I think that's legit, like you could incorporate that into the game. That seems like, like I said, like one of the reasons why I did the podcast, it's like, who knows what's best for DDO? Like somebody who's been playing it forever. You know what I mean? That's who knows what's best. That's who knows what's more fun. So, and the value that you get in DDO is always its replayability. So sure, you want to kick out new content, but being able to create new characters and new types of characters and experience the game and express yourself in the game certain ways, that's the real true value of DDO. And once you get your those hooks into players, I mean, the sky's the limit because you've You've literally purchased someone's heart, their emotional, you know, insides, right? Because the characters you make in DDO, they're your characters. So, anyways, that being said, that rant over about the lawsuit policy and all that crap, let's get back into DDO and why I really wanted to have this episode today. Because of the Hexblade Warlock, and, and I really wanted to play it, and then I was watching some other content creators, and they had... Mention, I'd heard mention of a, a more melee-oriented warlock. In fact, Shrimp Tom came out with a video about how do you make one and um, is it any good? And so he posted that video and that build um, and updated one before he did the uh, Acolyte of the Skin. So it's funny to me that, like, that this is a this is a fucking thing. This isn't like one guy making it up or two guys making it up. It's, there's a, there's a pretty big push, and it's like the most popular class, I would probably say, in, is the Hexblade Warlock in 5e. That's what I would say. It's the most played class. Now, is it the most played pure class? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I know that this is why I wanted to have the podcast. This is what I wanted to talk to you guys about. I've play this game a lot. I've got some racial, a few couple of racial lives left. And I'll be racial completionist. I'm epic completionist and I'm heroic completionist. So I played the game a lot. I played through the game a lot. It was depressing to hear about the lawsuit policy or whatever. It was exciting to get the accolade of the skin. It was depressing getting to end game and realizing, hey, some of what these other people are saying is true. It's not enough. It's not enough, I think, because it was ripped from the half-dragon template from the forums, but wasn't enough to... Tra- it didn't translate enough because it was tw- It was almost like they just took the cosmetic of it and put it into the game. But tried to facilitate um, high-damage, um, mid-tank type character. And that's where I think the similarities are. You know... I, Back when it came out, I was a lot more familiar with both threads, the initial one and the second one, and I could go in depth. I, I, I just can't, and I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about this. Um, I want to talk about the Hexblade Paladin, and I want to talk about something my buddy did, and I'm, I'm not going to embarrass him because I do think this was extremely clever uh, because I was shocked, number one, and um, shocked at least twice. So, I'm not going to tell you how all the behind the talk went, but I did hear that he 
uh, posted a, a play-by-post thing uh, on the forums, play-by-post or DDO Expanded, something like this. And and I checked it out. I saw what he wrote. And um, I just kind of waited. I kind of jokingly said, if you don't get anybody to play, I'll just gonna I'll write something. And um, I already knew what I wanted to play, but I, I didn't tell him. So we start to, he starts to play. It's interesting because he's, you know, he's kind of writing. So and I'm reading it and then I got to decide. And, and I've got a podcast about the play by post and why I think it's so much fun. But I want to talk about the shared delusion and why it's so much fun. Why it's, it's important to, to listen to your players, to let them have the freedom to make the things they want because it really gives power to everybody power to the game so I chose you know there are many different splits you can go with but I just chose Hexblade Paladin Pact of the Blade he was starting us at level 3 so I'd start with the Pact of the Blade is you know there's a basically you summon a weapon they say it can be from the plane the Shadowfell plane a lot of times it is from the Shadowfell plane Um, so it's connected to that you know dark edgelord um, type play style. So, yes, I'm going to play that guy, right? Well, whatever, dude. It's on the forums. I don't give a shit. Nobody else is playing, so guess what? <laughs> That's why I was able to pick him, right? So, I made the dude, and I didn't make him an exploit. I just made him kind of like a regular guy. Like, that's how I always assume, because I wasn't sure how this was going to go, and I wasn't sure if there were other players who were going to join, and I didn't want anybody to know my class, per se, because... I wanted them to share the delusion with me and that something would, that our characters would have a friendship and then naturally find out about each other and then build the, you know, build the friendship that way, like through the game. So I didn't say anything about what my class was except through the DM, more the DMs, for a private message uh, to the dude who's running it, right? So I was totally playing like from the first post I posted. I don't know. I don't know where it is. I was going to pull up the... Just to have uh, an idea of what I'm talking about. I was... So from the first time I posted... I... I knew what I was... I was a third level Hexblade. And I, I was always conscious of that. So when, when the stage was set... And I read where I was... And who was around and what I was doing... I... Um, you know, I'm no fool. I've played this game before, right? So... So after the first, that's why, that's here's my first post. So behind the scenes, there's the first post is the rules he makes. And then I'm talking about the session one post because there's two now, apparently. I know there's two because I, I knew the second one was coming. But, um, you know, it kind of sets the ground rule, just what it's about. And then he goes and sets up the Salt Marsh story, bringing Salt Marsh into... Um, the Lazar principalities and kind of connecting it into uh, Eberron instead of keeping it um, in its own strange location, which was cool, right? So it's already more DDO to me because I've only Eberron campaigned maybe once or twice. Almost all my um, D&D experience has been in the Forgotten Realms exclusively. I think one of my friends had a Greyhawk adventure and I was confused that I didn't know the lore and I never stepped a foot out of Forgotten Realms just because I didn't want to 
learn anything else. Uh, Forgotten Realms was all I liked. So the fact that he was brought it into Eberron in that first post, I, to me, you know, because of what he had, what it's designed for, it's designed so you can kind of play when you can't get on the game, right? So it's just fun to like, oh, I know, you know, even though I may not know the exact NPCs because I don't know the game that that well, but like it was nice to be like, oh, I've been to the Salt Marsh in DDO, so like I'm picturing that, and I'm, you know what I mean? It was like a little easier for me to um, get into the 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 thread because I knew, I felt like I knew what, what he was talking about. I'm playing DDO in my mind, right? So the first post happens, and and I've already messaged him at this point, right? So he sets the stage. Um, essentially, what happens is. Um, you're supposed to meet somebody, and the somebody you're supposed to meet gets murdered, publicly murdered. And because of where you are, and because of, you know, you, you kind of stand out like a Thor, sore thumb, you're in Regalport in the Lazar Principalities, kind of like a, a, a Dena, you know, it's Pirate's Town, you know what I mean? And these people are, you know, the Coin Lords, they're, um, they're like them, because the Coin Lords are pirates, and that's what you know, the Lazar Principalities is on Corvair, and that's like the granddaddy of coin lords, right? In the Lazar Principalities. So whoever had murdered this guy probably put a plant in the crowd that fingered your group out. In this case, it was only me. He only had one player. So my guy got fingered out as the murderer, and then he had my guy escape on a ship with an elf captain, and I felt totally safe. This guy was legit. This captain was cool. I read it. It was it was neat. He, he saved my butt. And then, of course, he gives me a quest, right? The elf captain gives me a quest. Hey, hey take this box and deliver it. And I'm thinking, great. Um, you gave me a fucking fetch quest, <laughs> right? So I'm like, you know, I, I mentioned it to him in a private message. I'm like, great. So you gave me a fetch quest. No wonder why nobody wants to play your game. And uh, my first post is called Crickets. And it was a joke kind of ribbing him a little bit. I know this kid a little bit, so whatever. So I, I basically told him, uh, I'll just read, my post is one line, right? So, but I agree with what's happened so far because like I made the character. So I know what the character looks like. Um, he knows my idea of the character. We talked about it. So it's not like he doesn't know who I am, right? And see where I'm getting back to the beginning of the uh, podcast? Who... I am not who I'm acting as, not who I'm pretending to be, not what lines did I memorize, like who I am in this world. Like it's a shared delusion, you know, we're kind of crazy together. So he knows who I am. He knows who this character is that I've made and then how about what I would do in a given situation. So my character is kind of, is he an edgelord? I don't know. He's, he's kind of careless. So here's the deal. I made this guy, Itax Astrala. I was trying to look for something called Space Elf, but I couldn't find it. So, Itax Astrala. Well, you guys know I've made other builds in the game before, right? So, they're in the podcast. So, the whole funny thing about this character is that he's an elf that seems like he's only 30 or 40 years old, and he was raised by humans. So, he's an elf, but he's really like a 40-year-old guy. 30-year-old guy. You know, that's what he acts like. A guy in his 30s. That's what I, So I hope I get the math right there. So I'm thinking of him in his 30s, early 30s, 31, 30. 
you know, that's where I think of Itax Astral. But he's an elf, so he's got a long life ahead of him as long as he doesn't do something stupid, something humanly stupid, right? But he's kind of like, that's where his, his maturity level is, is like kind of like, you know, like, uh, you know, his parents are dead and, you know, he's kind of like, you know, he's got a little bit of inherit. You imagine a guy like that has a little bit of inheritance and, you know, he's really never really made anything of himself. And yes, he's a, a third level Hexblade Paladin and defined by the game rules. But in my head, he's, uh, this is who he is. So who he is is someone that's kind of, I don't know, it's all he doesn't pay attention to detail. He just kind of isn't pay close enough attention, right? Kind of a little self-absorbed a little bit. But he doesn't, he doesn't know that. You know, he just, ah, he's lonely, you know? So he took this stupid job and now he gets accused of murder and he's on the run, right? So now you got kind of understand the character and I, a little bit, the guy, who I am in this story, right? That's kind of who I am. Like I'm a 30-year-old, eh, What's up, guys? That's the kind of guy, you know. Oh, yeah, I'll f- I forgot that in the truck. I'll be right back. I, I forget it all the time. You know me. Come on, guys. You know, I always forget that. That's the kind of guy he is, right? So nobody responds in, to this first play-by-post thread. So as a joke, um, I my title of my thread is, or whatever, my post is crickets, right? And I'm thinking of the joke like you're crickets, like no, nobody wants to play a game. So... What I wrote to him was this. Now, I imagine myself getting off the ship, and I totally get my guy being in a circumstance where he gets accused of murder. He's just not paying close enough attention. He probably got in way over his head, and I just totally buy it. So, so he sets up the stage where I meet this captain. The ship pulls into the salt marsh. This is where the campaign is taking place. So you're at the docks of salt marsh, like, have at it. Here's the box. That's what he says to you. Have at it. So... I'm like, uh, so this is what I write back. I'm like, with, with the box under my arm, I go to the tavern. I place the box on the bar, and I pay for a tankard. I discreetly scan the establishment for customers for someone to partner with. Do I see anyone that might be an area guide? Do I see anyone that might be an area guide? So I'm, I'm, I'm like playing along, but I'm trying to hurry the pace up a little bit. I don't know why, but I just felt like I'm a solo player. I got nobody really to talk to. And um, as a player, so I want to complete the mission. You know, like, let's get this over with. Like, I'm here. Now I got this box. Let's get this over with so I can get back to doing, wasting my life, right? And uh, so that's what he does, right? He goes, I go to the bar. I place the box in the bar. And this this is the cleverness I want you to just pick up on. With the box under my arm, I go to the tavern. I place the box on the bar and pay for a tankard. I mean, that to me seemed like a normal... I'm trying to just describe this normal act. So I got this box to deliver. I go to the bar and I set it down. Isn't that what you would do? If I had a table, the bar bar was packed. You know, if I had a table, I'd set it on the table. I was the only room at the bar. I sidle up to the bar quick and get the bartender's attention. And I order a freaking drink. Anybody would do that. That makes sense. So anyways, so this is what happens, though. So blah, blah, I'm not going to read all his stuff, because I'm sure, because I don't want to. But I'll, he says this. You know, I'm not going to, he says, 
Oh, yeah, I got to read that part. So this is the, so here's how this goes. The snapping line in is packed. That's the, that's the boat in, in Saltmarsh. Standing room only. You arrive just in time to grab the last bar seat. So see, so now I'm, I'm even remembering it wrong, right? I, 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 when I, when I wrote it, no, when I read back what I wrote, I think I'm taking the last bar seat, but it may be just because he suggested it here. I don't know. Again, shared delusion. I'm not acting. He's not acting. We're kind of experiencing this world together. You arrive just in time to grab the last bar seat. The box draws many concerned eyes. People begin congregating away from the box on the outskirts and on the balcony level. They don't spit on the box, but you can tell something is up. You scan the room, keeping one eye on the box you placed on the bar. Most of the patrons are unarmed. Stacks of weapons are checked, uh, are, checked, are checked in near the entrance to the tavern. You notice through the crowd there is one with weapons still kept. Two swords sheathed crosswise over a dark brown leather cuirass. You decide to approach the, approach the recruit. Before you fully stand, a rough, firm grip grabs your left arm and yanks you partially over the bar. Know what that says? See, I'm not good with voices. Know what that says? Oh, he points in the direction of the box with his chin. He stares at you, incredulous, alarmed, angry. He doesn't break eye contact. Tonight, the two hang high and alone. Take the box and go. He throws your arm free so it hits your stomach. I, that's, I think that's very clever. I've had that happen to me. <laughs> um, so he gets a bartender involved in all this, and then, you know, you know, obviously, you find out it's an orc, a half-orc. And they throw you out of the bar. They throw me out of the bar. They throw, he throws me out of the bar. Just I'm supposed to be in Saltmarsh doing the Saltmarsh campaign. And now not only am I thrown out of the bar, I got a half-orc basically breathing down my neck saying, get out of the town, like get out of the city, Cousin Larry. Like, I don't know anybody. And the only guy I do know is like halfway across the island. I don't know what to do, right? So check out how he does this. So hold up a hand, you get it, I'll leave. And then he does graciously, because I would have, right? He lets me shout out to the um, the guy with the swords, right? The person I see with the swords. He lets me shout out to them. So at least I try to make contact with somebody, which I think is, is great, right? And then I love how he ends it, because I started my, I said mine crickets, and then he goes, the night in you, crickets. You can hear crickets and the sound of sand as you pick yourself up, you know, because I got thrown out of the bar. So anyways, I'm like, I don't really know. At this point, my response was, was terse because I just didn't even know what to do at this point. Um, I'll give you some, I'll, since it's probably not going to come up in the story, I'll tell you, my character's an elf raised by humans. That's why he can't read the elven script that's on the top of the box. He just can't read it. And again, he's human. He's kind of like a, you know, how do elves think of humans? Like stereotypical, dumb, short lives, too fast, too impulsive, right? And that's kind of how he is. You know, he kind of is that way a little bit. He's like a caricature of a human, but he's an elf. So, and I don't mean that to be negative. I just mean that to be, that's just how he is. He's just this way. This is how he's got along in life. Probably because he is an elf that was raised by humans is exactly why he's a caricature, because he's trying to ape 
movements mimic something that doesn't really come natural to him, right? This is, this is an excuse for this, but you know, we don't need to go in-depth to it about the character of who I am, right? But that's, you know, it's not supposed to be offensive, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But, but it, it can be, right? Somebody like that can be offensive, you know? And that's okay. And that's why we play this game, to have fun and to share this kind of uh, delusion together. So my response to being kicked out, because I don't know what to do at this point. I know I'm a third-level Hexblade, and I know I have what spells I have access to because he asked me and I sent them. Uh, I sent him my stats, but I, we never ended up, they never came into play. Um, and I don't know if he rolled or what because I know at one point I was, uh, you know, at a disadvantage or whatever. So he knew that, I hate to spoil it, but I'm just going to spoil it. So my pact is with the Raven Queen. And I've only seen the Raven Queen in the Critical Role series, so that's how I know the Raven Queen from. And in Eberron, it's not common that gods reach out and manipulate or speak to, talk to mortals. They're all myth and legend. About the only thing that is real is all the evil stuff, like all the bad guys, the demon overlords, the demon gods are essentially real and can be, the evidence is all over the place and they interact and manipulate mortals all the time. But the good guys are remarkably silent. And this is the way Keith Baker wanted it. And that's fine. I've, uh, played many a couple of characters in the tabletop and all my characters in Ebron have been um, I've role played and their backstories um, are created with no real with them just having faith that this or that deity is real but when I played this one and I made this character I felt like I felt like he, because he was so alone growing up, raised by humans, like a fish out of water. Talk about a fish out of water. He's not like a half-elf. This kid's an elf. And there's something deep inside of him that makes him feel kind of separate. So he acts, you know, sometimes he goes to the extreme type of, not the extreme, that's not what I mean to say, but he, you know, he's a character. He sometimes he just does things that's just a little, it's a little too much, you know. Tone it down, you know. So take it back a notch, right? So I know that my character is packed to the blade with the Raven Queen, right? Now that's all I know. We haven't discussed anything else. Um, you know, I mentioned the Black Razor, but we haven't meant, we haven't talked about anything. I did say that I wanted to be a great sword. So he knows what's going to happen, you know, when and if combat occurs about what I'm going to do or what I'm going to describe myself doing or just doesn't know who I'm going to attack, what order. But he's got an idea. So I didn't know after this whole, I, I basically feel like I fucked up the, the whole quest because the quest was to do the Salt Marsh campaign in DDO like you're playing DDO. And now I'm outside of the, uh, the inn like being chased out of Saltmarsh DDO because I uh, apparently I brandished this box on some kind of night I wasn't supposed to. I can explain this a little bit to you because this is not 
like a book. Some people will say that play-by-post is like writing a book, and it's not. It's a shared delusion. You're playing Dungeons and Dragons. We're just taking turns speaking. And because we're not at the same table, one of us is writing. And then another one, because they're the DM, they're going to kind of take control or fix things, which is fine. I, I was okay with that. I don't care about that. I just wanted to be distracted. And I was. So back up to his particular post, because we talked about this and he explained it to me. He said, tonight the two hang high and they're and alone. Take the box and go. That's what this half-orc says. And the whole point of this and what... It all comes into play later, which I didn't realize. Um, but apparently he had researched the lore of Lazar, but he'd done all this extra work. And then it says... And then the guy says, get out divine. Your kind ain't welcome here, right? He's basically what he's going to say. But what does that word, get out divine? Why is he calling me that? Like, I don't, I don't even know. When I read it, I just kind of went over it. Like, I'm, I'm, whatever it is, I'm over it. Uh, get out divine, whatever. And that's kind of how my character reacted. And then my response was very terse. You know, honestly, I was like, the fuck am I supposed to do? So I tried to give him help is what I thought I was doing. And um, because now that I've fucked up the quest, I don't have a partner. There's no other players. And like a lot of time had elapsed. Nobody's chiming in. So now I'm, I'm alone with apparently this box that makes me not have any friends. So that's the magic of this box. You know, plus five to um, of no friends. So I walk away. That's the name of my next, my next post. Because I, honestly, I had not told them at this point. But when it was going on, I was like, you know, this is stupid. So, I did my best though. I stayed in. I was I was there. Pick myself up and verify my location. That's how I respond. I look toward the docks, and I can see the moonlight's glint off of the calm water of the salt marsh. I walk in the direction of the water. I occasionally observe the box, and attempt to read the script in white. I know I upset the locals, and I keep an eye or an ear out for any clue of an ambush. And this is where I tried to help him. I heard the sound of a bird cawing. So I tried to help him there. But then, this is me playing the game. I know I upset the locals, and I keep an eye and ear out for any clue of ambush. So while I'm not rolling perception or anything like that, I'm not telling him that. I'm kind of saying that I am. And then I'm going to let him do whatever the fuck he wants with it. So in case you don't know how to play by post or never have, this is sort of what's happening here. That's the exchange. And I just didn't know what to do. I didn't, you know, I didn't know who to talk to, what door to go up to, or what I should do. I, I just, I wanted to keep playing the game. You know, I wanted to like do the, I wanted to drop the box off and go do the, go do play Salt Marsh. You know what I mean? I wanted to go Danger at Dunwater. You know what I mean? I wanted to go all that stuff. I just wanted to play. So, so I, I heard the sound of a bird calling. I was hoping that maybe he could, I don't know, summon my patron and have my patron intervene in some way that would push me back onto whatever he, whatever rails he had planned. Because I know, I know some players like to get off in sandbox. Well, I was already having enough fun, just character creation and being able to do whatever I wanted inside the world that I didn't, I didn't feel like, oh, I want to just run off and do. You know, I want to go, I, I go back behind the inn and take a piss. Like, I wasn't trying to antagonize or, or anything like that. And my character wasn't built that way. He was acting like I was sharing this delusion with him. And I had accepted this thing and, this, and it had unfolded this way. And this is how my guy would have reacted. 
So I felt that way. The next post kind of took me by surprise, and I, this is the the podcast is now. I'm just looked at the time; it's it's getting really long, and that has to do with you know the the preparatory conversation before getting into why I think the play by post is so informative, and then what makes it so great, and then how this affects DDO. Because I'm going to go full circle right back to DDO after this, but I think it's important to to see some of these things and to talk about this type of of Dungeons and Dragons that sometimes people who only play DDO or have only played in a computer setting don't know and now you have some kind of representation of what it could look like if you played at a table or if you just joined the, the forum post. So that's all I presented him with was basically like, basically what I was going to go do is um, sit on the edge of the docks hold the box in my hand and probably open it and maybe dump the damn thing. But I think deep in my heart, I knew I was going to return the box and just go back to wherever I was supposed to go before. Because it's not really clear. But, you know, you know, my guy's kind of, uh, he's a little self-absorbed, you know. And now... He's, you know, he's, you know, he's like a human. He's highly sensitive, and he's like a caricature of a human. So now, he's dismayed a little bit. And honestly, I was dismayed because I, I felt like I was letting him down. Like I, it was a joke that the cricket thing. But then I'm like, shit. Do I know how to play this game? I don't think I know how to play this game. So I didn't realize I needed to hide the box or that it, the box could be dangerous at all. I had no clue. It was a shock to me. But I thought it was cool how he was relentless and didn't punish me necessarily for it but he did make me my character uncomfortable like I was uncomfortable what I'm trying to tell you is I was uncomfortable writing the next post because I didn't know what to do and it was my fault my fault I didn't know what to do I didn't really ask any questions about the box I didn't I had the chance to I just didn't didn't do anything I just wanted to I just wanted to get on with the quest I just wanted to play it like DDL is what I was thinking right that's in my head get the quest open the chest So I didn't really know. I just knew that, and maybe I wrote, when I wrote, I hear I hear the sound of a bird calling. Maybe I, in the back of my head too, I was trying to psych myself out that, hey, you're playing a Hexblade, Pact of the Blade, awesome character, you have great stats, you have cool spells, you have cool abilities, stick with it. Maybe I was trying to convince myself, I don't know. When I read it now, I feel like I was trying to help him, like, hey, summon my patron and have her do something to get me back. But this this next uh, post really took me by surprise and and I guess this is what I mean like this whole experience for me was so eye-opening and I've never even though I played tabletop I've never had someone DM me in a particular way where like I'm a hexblade, I'm a third level hexblade, packed to the blade. I know my stats. And I know all this stuff. Now, we talked a lot about, a little bit about how the game was going to be played through DMs, right? And we had held a, a live conversation about it over the weekend we played. And then when I was at work, we just were communicating. So we'd have a, we had already had an understanding. But I know what DM me this way in particular. And what I mean is, 
nothing about my character says Hexblade, Pact of the Blade Paladin, that I have magical powers or any of this stuff. And I didn't really play my guy like that either because, you know, warlocks a lot of times hide that. They conceal that anyways. So it was natural that I didn't say anything about it if, in fact, I did make a contract with the Raven Queen, which in my head I thought I had already. thought it was done. But then when this post happened, I thought, geez, this is like, in, this is my guy's origin story. This is happening right now. And I didn't, I was like, I was kind of impressed by it. You know, I was like, well, this is cool. Because now it gave me, now I could play the guy a little bit like an edgelord. A little bit. Like, because before I was playing him as a caricature. So, I won't read this whole post because, while it's not long, I don't think it's all relevant to the conversation. And like I said, we're already at an hour, guys. So if you're playing DDO and listening to this, thank you. Um, and, and I'll just continue because if you're listening, then you, then you want me to continue. So I tell him I go to the dock and then I hear this bird. And um, I don't know. I'm trying to just save the campaign or whatever. So he DMs me and tells me what, what, where I ended up. And he says, You stopped just short, short of the end of the middlemost dock. Your elf eyes focus on something far in the distance. The blackness of the water made the motion seem surreal. Was that a tentacle? It would have been massive. Your eyes focus in the distance and you now see a large fin, a vertebrae. The object traveled from left to right. The object rose, and the sound of rushing water crescendoed, followed by a crashing sound. You see a ship. You hear the bird again. And maybe it's just because I like that he used my words and I'm vain like that. But I thought that was cool, like, I saw a ship. Now, I don't know anything about this particular post or what this post is, but I'll, I'll read a little bit of it so you can know, because it's related back to the whole, the two hang high tonight that the half-orc said, in the end, and I didn't know this lore about Eberron or the Lazar principalities, and I found it very interesting. So, and it's going to spoil the story for the end, but it's not going to spoil the end. It's just going to spoil faction involvement. So, you see a ship. You hear the bird again. The blackbird lands on your left shoulder. You normally would shoo it away, but fear has crept into you, and it keeps your body too heavy to move. Is the bird speaking? The ship turns towards salt marsh. You can smell rot. The sails are tattered. The figures mill about the deck, ghastly humanoid blobs. The bird caws. You look at the bird, buzzing. Your ears are filled with buzzing. The ship's in the harbor now. It's close to the dock. How long? Time. How far? The bird again. You look into the bird's fully black eyes. Yes, whatever the bird wants, you say. Yes. You stare back at the ship of bone. A large silhouette is prominent on the bow. Caw. The bird lifts from your shoulder. It flies straight up where it joins a host of black birds. The birds flow as if many bodies in one mind. They fly toward the ship and begin flying a circle pattern above its bone mast. The birds caw in unison. The box. You remember the box. Its white script glows gold. The dark red box is hot and you drop it on the dock. The ship begins to retreat, becoming smaller and smaller in the horizon. Did it sink? The birds circle you now. You float. Your arms stretch outward to their respective limits. Hey, 
pretty female faces before you. So what I thought was interesting was, to me, that's when I was introduced to the Raven Queen. Even though I started this, like we had agreed that I would be a level 3 Hexblade Warlock. That's where, to me, that's an extremely clever way of introducing a patron to a patrony or whatever. Right? To me, it is. Um, and this is where... So I'm going to fast forward to my ship because this is where I get to talk. And this is where I started to feel more comfortable that I didn't throw it away. I didn't throw the um, campaign away because I really did, man. I thought I was like, I just fucked this up. Um, so he kind of... He knows that my guy's kind of like... A, like not a moron, but that he's he's an elf, but he's he's got the mind of a human. So... He tries to write me like that. I try to write me how I feel like he would have gone. So, you know, after this girl is there and like she's like a, a prettier girl and, you know, I'm kind of a self-absorbed loner and in my mid-30s, probably, probably not a lot of, not a lot of game with the old opposite sex. So, I'm nervous for all kinds of reasons. I'm nervous because did I just daydream this fucking shit in my head? Did I just have a, like a living nightmare? Am I having a psychotic break? You know, I'm in my 30s, so I know about stuff like psychotic breaks, right? So my, my thinking is when I wrote the next post that my guy kind of like just like diarrhea of the mouth. Like he just vomited all kinds of words that made sense and shit. But he, again, he needed to dial it back. And then because of what had just happened, because it was so haunting, the, the birds and the ship, I feel like I was able to tune him back. Like, it gave me the power to tune him back. Because that had just happened. But initially, he's still kind of growing into that knowledge. So it's crazy, right? I mean, to me, this was a totally crazy experience. So, hi, my name is, you know, and I got that. That's the name of my next post. And hi, my name is what? My name is who? That's where, anyways... Now I'm showing my age, I guess. Huh? I never thought that would be old. So I say, so, and I don't know how to role play my guy. Like, I don't know how to say it just to say it. And, you know, if I knew, I'm not going to think about how many people listen to this because I wouldn't say it the best way I could. So this is how I, I hear it in my head is, I text Astralaboy 960, just outside Metro, parents died in service to the queen. I apologize. Oh, no, that's not. So it would be, I text Estrella, born 960, just outside Metro, Seer. My parents died in service to the Queen. I uh, I apologize. So I guess that's kind of how I imagined him saying it. Like, he starts to get into his old ways, right? He starts to just kind of go through the motions, wrote, you know, impulse. He's, a, he's, he's an elf, but he's got human traits. He's impulsive. So he just impulsively blurts out his name, all this shit. Like somehow, you know, this is going to help him. He doesn't even know know what he's doing. That's kind of how he's gone through life. But he takes a second, takes a breath. I apologize. I collect myself, then I take it down a notch. And then I'm just completely honest. My character is, this is my character being completely honest in this next situation. I was supposed to, keep in mind, I was supposed to do the Salt Marsh campaign, and now I'm on the end of this dock, kicked out of the city, haunted by some kind of ship, and 
alone with this chick who I'm not sure if my guy likes or not. I'm not sure what's going on. He's definitely something going. He's definitely confused. And um, I'm trying to be a man, right? He's trying to, trying to be a man. So he gets honest with himself. I don't really know how things got this way. I didn't think I would be here alone. I could use some help. A guide at the very least. A partner, if it turns out. I'm supposed to drop this off at a warehouse here in Salt Marsh. I indicate the box under my arms. And then, you know, it goes on to, you know, say how the, how, how the quest was supposed to kind of finish up. And she's a little deceptive when she approaches me, or he writes it, that, so I don't really know what her intentions are. If she, does she need money? Does she need a ride? Is she here because she thinks she can get something? Right? That's what you, you're wondering, Right? And that's what I try to present. I try to, uh, you know, portray this front like, hey, I got contacts. I can do this. And then it's what's funny is I never asked the chick name. I just totally all just wrote everything about myself and me, me, me. And um, I don't know how the next one's going to go, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to feel like comfortable doing. But um, I never asked uh, for the NPC's name, which is hilarious. So, he responds with, it's okay to ask. Min-level tray, not that you asked. She turns towards the town and starts walking away. And then the story just kind of progressive. We talk about where it is, where it could go. She kind of uh, makes fun of me a little bit. But then there's, um, there's this comment about the blood sales, or the Scarlet Brotherhood. Scarlet Brotherhood's a real faction from, I think, Greyhawk. And... Um, Crabber's Wharf, it's not really Crabber's Wharf. It's something else. And I, I think he, we talked about this at length, this particular session afterwards. And I wanted to go back and tell you, like, what what was a little bit significance here that happened in the bar that I didn't pick up on. So, and this is the kind of stuff, like, when you do play at a table, and if you have other people around, sometimes they can clue in, sometimes they can't. Sometimes guys Google shit. Well, not in my day. Sometimes guys look shit up. Um, like phrases and stuff like that in certain books that they might have in their backpack while everybody's having Mountain Dew and soda so they can try to figure out what to do next, be the smartest guy in the room. So, tonight the two hang high and alone, take the box and go. And then the orc insults me further in the end and he says, get out divine, your kind ain't welcome here. Well, that's what he would have said. So, the blood sales are... Related to the line of old, they are the last of the line of old. But the the blood of old and the line of old is not destroyed. Just every vol every family member that possessed the mark of death was destroyed. And we all know what happened to Aranda's vol. She half dragon uh, became a lich. Um, so her apex dragon mark is useless, and. Um, you know, she sits on her throne and pretends to be somebody else, Lady Omero, um, connected to the Carnath court. Some say that um, that's kind of her, been her country for years. Because I think there's lore that supports this. That uh, oh, I can't remember the kid's the guy's name. There's a the guy who sits on the throne of Carnath. I want to say his name is Car, but I don't know what his name is. Car the first. I don't know what his name is. But it, whoever it is, it's like Car the third or the fourth. But it's actually Car the First. He's a vampire and he hides it 
and he serves Lady Omero, who is actually Aranda's Vole, but nobody else knows that. Like, that's a total secret. Some people know that. The right people know that. So, the two, what does that have anything to do with it? The, tonight, the two hang high and alone and get out divine, your kind ain't welcome here. Well, um, I don't know the whole story and I don't remember it, but the ship of bones that's later seen in the next scene is what the tonight the two hang high is refers to. And it's kind of like Keith Baker, Eberron, right? The Eberron campaign settings play on the Pirates of the Caribbean. There is a, a captain ship, a pirate ship. It's related to Vol or, the, you know, the undeath. And this guy is cursed because he did something wrong. I forget what it was, but his ship is cursed. His crew is cursed. And when only two moons are in the night sky is when they're most, most likely to appear. That's when they're the most sightings of this ship of bones. And it's actually like a real thing from the Ebron campaign setting. I don't know. You know, someone told it to me, told me the story, and that's what I can remember. And this has been a big enough project without me actually researching all of it. But I remember this part because I did do make a DDO character, a, a vampire in DDO, and I researched a little bit about the religion of the blood of Vol. So when he did say, get out, divine, your candidate, welcome here, I, I kind of thought I knew what he was saying. And he was kind of making fun of the religion the blood of Vol is. And the blood of Vol basically states that divinity lies inside you and inside your blood, and your blood is the key. And then, you know, there are many different offshoots, and um, but there's no real, you know, it's not like the silver flame, Right? Or the Church of the Silver Flame. Like that's, you kind of see that as a more organized, typical um, church type thing. Like you would normally see in, like in life. Like it's a structural hierarchy. You know, there are positions or, you know, apprentices and, you know, there's a, you know, doctrine, all this stuff. The Blood of Old doesn't have doctrine and all that stuff. Just that you're your own God. That's the, that's essentially the doctrine. So, when the half orc says, get out, divine, you're kind of welcome here. That's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, I know who you are. You worshiper of Vol, get out. Right? And the blood of Vol is not a nice faction. So don't, don't get it misconstrued. They have elements that you can sympathize or empathize with, but they are not nice people. And um, the blood sales being part of and very much connected to Aranda's Vol, know the truth of the situation here. These elves live a long time, and they know the score when it comes to Aranda's Vol. And while Aranda's Vol thinks she is going to become a god or resurrect herself, the elves, the blood sale elves, her family that protect her and do all kinds of stuff, because they have their own nation in the Lazar Principalities, right? They're strong in the Lazar Principalities. It's widely known that they are connected to Karnath, and um, while they don't, it's believed they're in league with Lady Elmaro or have a relationship with Lady Elmaro, the world doesn't know that the blood sales are Arandis Vol's kin, and Arandis Vol is Lady Elmaro, and they are actually, in fact, they do communicate, and they're actually one 
one family still. They don't, the world doesn't really know that. They, they work in the shadows. But it doesn't mean that the religion isn't understood and that people don't haven't made those connections, right? So whatever is on the top of this box has something to do with undeath, has something to do with probably my bar, necromantic energies. Oh, I wanted to finish what I was saying about the, the, the elves, the blood sale elves. What I mean to say is they know the score and what they hope for, the blood sale elves, is not to be raised to divinity, they hope that she makes them a lich and that they can go on to, on to, on to, on to undeath. That's their, their biggest hope, is that they get to one day be a lich and live forever that way, in that capacity or become a vampire in that capacity. You know, the, the, the more um, blessed, I guess, by vol you are, probably you'd be a lich or something higher than a vampire. So that's kind of... That's kind of that... A little nugget of lore that I was not aware of. Um, so, it's interesting to me that that he's kind of alluding to the fact that this guy knows, and I kind of knew that, like that the orc, getting back to the tavern, that the orc knew that, um, knew more than, so what I thought was this, I thought that maybe this was connected to Vol. And that, that's why he called me divine. But I wasn't, I thought that was the possibility. And I wasn't distracted by anything. But I wondered how the half-orc knew to say that. Like, how does he know that much about the language, like the religion? But again, I, you know, this is my first time kind of playing anything like this. So I didn't know to probe those kind of answers. And here I am now with one of the people from the tavern who was there when it took place and I didn't mention saying I'd ask any questions I didn't know to um, I just like I said I just wanted to keep the the story kind of walking forward that's what I was trying to do um, so I didn't really I didn't really make those kind of connections doesn't mean it's not a great little wasn't fun and in fact it was transformative I guess is what I'm saying that's why I'm sharing this with you um, and this is a, this was a really great so I didn't the last when I did hi my name is when I did that post and you know it was a few minutes ago and I talked about that where I kind of stumbled over my words took a breath and like I started to grow into this new tap into this new more adult power that hey I, you know I need to I need to start being more independent I just got myself thrown out of a bar I, I'm suffering a scary situation. I should probably get my shit together, right? So I'm like, I'm thinking about that. I make that post. And then his the next post, the, the guy does, this is the great part about this is this chick knows a bunch of stuff. She informs me a shit ton. And then she's like, I know where this shit is. I can help you get this over quick. And then you can get me to wherever I want to go. And I'm thinking, at first I was thinking, okay. But then I'm thinking, but then... We get we go for a little bit of a walk, right? She she steps off the side of the road, reaches into like this big hole inside of a tree, like a natural hole inside of a tree. She pulls out a leather backpack or whatever, opens the top, stretches out her hands like, hey, uh, put the box in here. And when I read that shit, that was the first time I was like metagaming. I'm like, she's going to steal that shit from me. She's going to take this shit and run. I'm going to be fucked. Not only will I not be on the Salt Marsh campaign, 
now I don't even have the box to deliver. You know, now I'm not even on the fetch quest. That's a, like a side quest. Just a, for an excuse for my guy to be in Salt Lake. So this particular point for me, I guess what I'm trying to say about this point, what I want to say is, at this particular point, there was a little bit of the metagame going on in my head. And I just made the decision to put the box in the bag because I felt like if this, uh, if Min wanted to do me harm, she would have already. And I also felt that I had been impetuous in my life up to now. And part of that has to do with me not trusting other people and me always trusting myself and my own instincts. You you see, that particular explanation is crazy to me because I'm just like, I'm quote unquote acting this guy, I'm playing this guy in the Dungeons and Dragons forum post, but I actually am this guy. Which is, that's just so different than you're acting, you're acting a role. You're playing against stereotype, or you're playing a stereotype. That's not what's happening. I created this guy, and he lives in this forum post, and I experienced his life for a little bit with my buddy. That's what happened, and that's what I'm trying to share. It was such a, a kind of an eye-opening thing. And that's why he did what he did. And I did ask some questions and I that I didn't know, you know, and I tried to play against some of my I tried to give him a unique background that was I kind of well it's kind of a whitewash background. It's very edgelord. But he was educated in seer. Um so he should have some information about some things that maybe other people don't have that don't have the perspective of Seer because most people are, have been supplanted during the war for a long time, so they haven't been in Seer, and they're more nostalgic, whereas my character was, was raised, educated in Seer, and only left right right before the morning. So that's why I kind of, I threw that in there, because I thought that was, um, you know, I thought that was a, uh, kind of an important plot point for me to throw in there but it, we never it never he never used it and it never came up so but that's and that's something that I guess I'll just say that happened I put that out there again that I was uh, my guy was born in Seer because Seer is where the Mornland is if you're not unfamiliar with Ebron the Mornland is like this uh, misty country that nobody can go into because there's weird shit that happens in there and it kills you uh, you have to make all kinds of saving throws all the time or go crazy in the Mornland uh, at least you did in 3.5. So um, my guy comes from that uh, land, that country, before it was blown up. But he's not from there. He's an elf. So that's that's the other thing. Raised by human parents. Anyways. So there's a little bit of um, me asking about the box. I don't really know what to do. But I do try to um, play the character as honestly and as straightforward as I can. I try to be the character. I really do. I try to be the character. And I ask just about the box. I try to you know, advance the quest a little bit. And then um, you know, I take a look at myself and I make sure that you know, I look presentable. And we had talked about what 
that I had this particular weapon, and it's like a royal longsword of seer, and there are not many left. Like, it's a rare thing, because it's like a, a certain type of sword, longsword. It's not like this extra damage or, it's, you know, it's just valuable because it's, it's just rare. You know, it's rare, rare to be found. But it's not especially dangerous in any way. So, but it is you know, specific to uh, the character itself. Um, so I try to, like, make myself comfortable and find my own power, tap into my own power. Now that I've essentially given the box to this chick who knows everything that's going on in the world and is leading me literally by the nose into what I don't know. So as a subconscious gesture, maybe now that I'm reading it back, I, you know, I'm asking and it's, it's really weak. The questions, maybe, maybe we should know what's inside the box. Maybe we should hide it. Like it's real, real weak. And then it says, I wonder aloud, but hope Min replies, meaning that like, I didn't even have the nut to ask her straight out that I just kind of like said it out loud in her while we're walking together. Hey, there's nobody else around. Maybe she'll answer me. That's kind of weak. But that's uh, that's not uncommon for a guy that's just learning to be a man, right? And, they, right, and then immediately after that, it's, I look down at just my sword size black belt. And I, to me, that's, even though I'm writing this, I'm writing this as that character. I am that guy. So to me, it makes sense that this is happening. And in this particular order, will it always be this miraculous? I don't know. That's why I'm wondering. I'm interested to see where the next one we play goes because this really blew my mind. Just my experience blew my mind with it. So so just playing that character. And then there's there's the attempt um, to establish identity um, and independentness by trying to joke and joke but also also stand your ground or make a statement about hey uh, you know you, you called me son of Astrala before like that that don't even work that's not even what the name means you know basically is what you're saying but you're trying to joke with it but so that was a that's an interesting forum post and I I, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it um, I just know it was it was awesome, and then this, this was probably the post, uh, the next one. Will you survive? And the, they're so aptly named because I'm kind of ribbing him in the beginning, like crickets. Hi, my name is, and then he's ribbing me back a little bit, you know, and um, not, and, and he's not doing it in an antagonistic way. It's just two guys playing Dungeons and Dragons, but staying in character, but still. You know, playing against that line where um, uh, with two friends playing a game together. I guess what I'm saying is I wasn't totally deluded, and neither was he. We knew we were playing Dungeons and Dragons, but we were having so much fun being deluded together. And um, we only came up for air briefly to rib each other that, hey, this is a great game. So the next post was pretty epic um, because I think this is the one. This is the so this post. The reason why this one is important is because I had thought that I started this as a level three hexblade, a warlock, packed to the blade. But I didn't. I didn't become a hexblade till this post, and um, the will you survive post, and it 
was awesome because it made I never had like a an origin story in a game where I was playing with somebody else. I don't know. I just never had like that kind of a connection where it was that intimate. I guess I don't know where like you saw the character go from this you know caricature of a human that's an elf, fish out of water, you know that whole trope, right? And just trying to grasp with being like, hey, you know, you're you people look at you, you're an elf and you're adult. People look at you to be act that way and you're, you're not you know and you always try to use that excuse that you know your parents are dead and you know you're raised in seer and they're human anyway so ha ha and so there's this this graduation from that but it's almost like it's it's almost too late because you're already thrust into this adventure and the stakes get raised very quickly you know yeah yeah it's just deliver a box to the end and now all of a sudden i'm outside on the street like, I don't think, I don't imagine I tax Estrella ever being out on the street. And I'm surprised he didn't just cry. I bet he was right there. And Min probably was nice to him, like, just so he wouldn't cry. That's why I imagine this thing kind of going. So, they continue walking and they get to the uh, this vine-covered tower. And that's when shit goes crazy. So, you know, Min Min takes some combat action, and she screams the name Orza, which is, if you're, you can just read this if you want, I don't know why I'm, I just want to touch on this part. So, this is the part that kind of blew me away. A blackbird cause, and it's funny because it's halfway down the post, so I have to read all about the scene, the setting of the scene, and then Min is the one that really acts. And my guy's kind of weak. You know, he's kind of frightened. Uh, but Min is the one that's like trying to, you know, take a, a, a protective action for us. But then a black bird cause, and it lands on my shoulder. Not again. Oh no. Fear grips you again. Your body is too heavy and your veins freeze. You're freaking out now. The bird on your shoulder cause. And you got to wonder if, like, the, the bone chip is going to come again. You know, what's going to happen now? They can drag you to the bone chip. The sound drags you from the inside, your mind back into the fight. Your perception of time slows. Min calls out to you, but the words are unintelligible due to the dilation in time. She leaps back, fires an arrow at the ground. In front of this large crocodile, earth, mud, rocks burst from the shot. She leaps back and sets another arrow. The bird caws again. You notice a tall figure behind you, lurking near the tower. In a moment, you stand before her. Standing two feet taller than you, she looms over you. Her hands grab the blade from your hand. Her hands are feathered black. Her nails are more like claws. She inspects the steel blade. She whispers something to the sword and the metal turns black. The inky substance covers the blade, hiding the gold filigree. She stretches the blade and reforms it. The grip twice as long, the blade twice as long. This black substance crawls along the blade, forming a large drop at the blade's tip. Her feathered left hand appears from the darkness of her cloak and catches the blackness. The blade of the great sword was the deep blackness of space. Stars and moons could be seen as she moved the blade upright. Her white mask rests upon you. 
the black eye holes in the white mask chilling you. She runs the blade into your stomach. She drives it halfway and lets go of the grip. No words. No communication passed between you and her. You cannot read a mask. Her eyes are black holes. An understanding forms in your mind. You grab the guard with both hands and pull the blade into you. Peace. True completeness. Sacrifice and love. Life and death. You understand the connection. The blade. The blade's grip is close. The blade's grip is close enough. And again, with both hands, you bury the blade into your soul. To me, that was like awesome because I had started as a Hexblade Paladin and now this was actually, to me, I don't know, I mean, you tell me, um, that to me is like one of the coolest pack signings, contract signings ever. Uh, She fucking stabs you with a fucking sword. That's awesome. And then in order for you to finish the contract, you got to figure out like, oh, I should probably fucking... I have to agree. Like, you have to capitulate. Like, there's no other way. So, I thought that was extremely clever. It's one of the things that really ignited me to to do the podcast and really filled me with a lot of um, passion for it. Because this was awesome. And I don't know if it was just because of the way things had played out. I, I think it was. Um, just kind of happenstance. And I think both of us were just really enjoying it. And so, we, it was natural that it was able to come. So, at anyways, um, he names the blade that I summoned the Night Sword. I never named it that. I just said, you know, something like the Black Razor. And if you look up the Black Razor, and I know this a little bit because I played Dungeons and Dragons, that Black Sword, the blade of the Black Sword, is always described as like a night sky. Um, it's a very popular trope in uh, fantasy. Guild Wars 2 has two separate swords, I think Dusk and Daylight or something like that. And both. Both blades, they're both great swords, and both blades reflect the night sky and or the the rising sun. So the two two different swords do two different things in Guild Wars too. But I just say that to lay the foundation that it's not it's not uncommon that this trope is re- repeated. I what I'm giving him credit for is that it's so repeated that it's um, he calls it the night sword, and I just think that's. Um, Perfect. Like it doesn't need any more explanation. Than that it just says what it is, and and it's cool, and it's super edge lord, which is kind of what it's supposed to be. Um, I don't think it needs to be any flowery, and I think the way the combat plays out is great. I thought that was fun. That was a fun read. The poison dusk showing up. I did a podcast about the poison dusk. I didn't recognize the creatures he uh, described. I didn't know if that's if that's where he got that from, but the fact that that was added in. Um, as another faction to contend with later was incredible or was exciting not incredible it was, that wasn't incredible although I do think that the contract scene with the patron was incredible um, I'm not going to get into all, all the other stuff I will say that after the only um So here's the deal. This I think there were some days four four. There was some time, anyways. Is I remember there being a night, at least a, a night between these, but maybe I'm wrong. Because um, I remember there was a pause 
Because I was working a lot. Anyways, the ambush uh, that causes this um, pact to generate between my character and her patron is um, happens, and then the ambush continues further. Like, more bad guys show up to fight us. We have reinforcements. The bad guys get reinforcements, so it continues, right? But shit gets elevated when the bad guy comes. And the only time... I was so excited when I did this, because I, I still remember. Uh, the only time I got to actually play the Hexblade Warlock in this uh, play-by-forum post, the part I couldn't wait was to you know summon the weapon and, you know... You know, body parts will roll, right? Like, you feel my wrath. So, I was feeling pretty confident at this point. Um, at least with what I knew I wanted to do after I read that post. I thought it was great, and, you know, the action was handled well, and obviously the story unfolded. So, he sets the next ambush up, and then I get to just do whatever I want. I say whatever I want, do whatever I want. And for some reason, I just, I was so excited that I finally was complete, like I finally was the Hexblade, because I didn't really feel like I was a Hexblade in the beginning of the story. And I don't think you feel that way either until after this pact is signed, and now I feel like, now I can say something. I feel confident enough to say something about my class. So, my next post after that ambush ambush is, I call the Night Sword to me, I invoke the Green Flame, and I charge and attack the Necromancer. And that, that was like the only Warlock combat I did. This entire story. And it felt so good. It felt so good to freaking say that. I mean, I was, I couldn't wait. I mean, I didn't go for the, you know, there were skeletons that came from the ground. There were like some ads I could have gone for. But, you know, I got the night sword. I got this green flame I can summon. I'm going to take out the bad guy, you know. I mean, time for, time for me to take responsibility, right? It's awesome. It felt awesome. Um... So there's this whole exchange now where he gets into, um, our characters and, and the meaning behind what our characters are doing. And, um, there are some revelations from the bad guy and things transpire and I won't, um, say anything else about the, um, the story. I will say if you do read it and you get this far, cause it's kind of lengthy, if you're not playing it, I've read it a couple of times just because it was a lot of fun for me to experience it as it happened. Um, and um, I mean, we just finished it, but I just, um, I don't know, I just didn't know how we got there. You know, how we got there was pretty interesting. So, what, I got to play the, that scene happens and he did message me um, and we talked a lot about my character. Now, I'm the only guy playing the game, um, so I was willing to let him do whatever he wanted to do, but uh, he just wanted to, I think, make sure I was really okay with it and not just like um, saying, well, you know, like that I was trying to help him out and like I'm going to sacrifice my character essentially like to the fires of his creativity and to the hopes that somebody else might want to try playing his play-by-post thing or whatever. I think he wanted to make sure that that wasn't his intent. And it was just that he was DMing this game. The choices have come this way. You met the characters this way. Your character's grown this way. And this is where I see, 
your character and then I see more over here. And if your character is faced with this kind of decision, he's got to make a decision. And then if he makes said decision, like what would happen here, 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 like you just let, I'm not going to sick. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who wants to read ahead. But if this happens to you and you get to play the play by post, super fun that he kind of does like, didn't tell me the answer, but he allowed me to be like, feel like I was my character. And then shit just got even wilder. And it was awesome. Um, probably more awesome for him. And that's not a spoiler, but um, probably more awesome for him. But I, the story, the way it unfolded was awesome. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next one and, uh, you know, the see where, where it might go because it was so much fun. I didn't know. And now that I look back on the post, I realize that he he's got the larger post than I do. Um, but it didn't feel that way when I played it. The way it felt was, you know, he DMs a scene, and I'm thinking about it. Like I'm thinking, and in my head I'm playing scenarios. So I, I don't. I guess I don't feel like my my posts in my head were a lot longer because I. I was playing him out in my head scenarios and what would I really do? And sometimes I tried to metagame like I admitted. And it may have happened more. That's just the only the few times I could remember. I tried to be as honest. I definitely was as honest as I could. I just, I don't know if maybe I'm not remembering everything properly, but definitely I only remember a couple of times really metagaming. You know, definitely when that, when the half work in the bar called me a divine, I remember the blood of old stuff I did for my vampire build, one of my racial past lives for DDO. And I remember like, dude, he is, how does that guy know about the blood of all? Is he a bad guy? And then when it turned out he was like a gatekeeper ally, that was, that was awesome. That's what I mean. Like, I don't want to spoil the whole thing because if you haven't read it, it's, it's probably a good read, I think. I have fun reading it because I like lived it. You know what I mean? Like my character lived it and I lived it with my character in this kind of delusion, right? Um, and that's just what I want to um, want to impress, not just upon the community, everybody that listens, who I appreciate very much. And I'm very just thankful that you listen, man, really. Um, but also, it's important that this is out there and that if Standing Stone Games hears it, they should take note. Because this was just... I've had a couple of really epic experiences in DDO. I don't want to say nothing was as epic as this play-by-post, but um, this was the play-by-post was extremely special and ranks up there in definitely my top three DDO experiences ever. Um, I met this dude um, through a shared... Um, hobby just like you do with any Dungeons and Dragons tabletop thing back in the day back before there were cell phones and shit and you had to go to the you know you had to go to the your your, your the fucking community board at the laundromat you know that's where you had to find these people your people so I met him through these forums and you know we talked shit a little bit and you know um he doesn't mind if I make fun of him no, I'm just kidding so no you know we just spitball about the game and the great things that would be fun. And it was nice um, that he, you know, he took the time and uh, pick whatever character you want, play whatever edition you want, 
just let me know these things and I'll I'll hook you up. And that was super sweet. And at first I thought it was kind of, not dumb, but at first I thought it was going to be hard. And then as things, I just got so attached to my character, I guess is what I'm saying. And here we are starting that second session. It's only been like a couple of weeks, but it's just how attached I get to my character is the important thing here. You know, I was so attached. That was my character. And it all started because I like the, the acolyte of the skin. I enjoy it a great deal, but it's flawed and it's, it's not enough. It's incomplete. And the Hexblade, Pact of the Blade Paladin, is, I don't know if overpowered is the right word, but there's a lot of front-loaded power, and it's a great dip, it's a great multi-class, it's a great single class, the Hexblade Warlock, in 5th edition, and it's awesome. And it really resonated with me, and I really wanted to make a guy that was like that. I tried, kind of, um, like, uh, you know, like how Strim Tom did, I tried to make other types of builds that would, you know, let me express myself that way. Let me express the character that way. The way I, I wrote this guy, the way he's from. You know, his backstory, all this stuff, like it matters, you know. And um, I just couldn't... I put like three or four lives trying to figure this out. Maybe some of those were the um, Hexblade lives, the you know, the Dark Apostate ones. But it was like four or five lives. And I was successful on the Hexblade 3.5 by matching it with the Dark Apostate. I feel like that was an easy out. But definitely the Six Paladin, um, Dark Apostate's good. You can even go, I even did, um, at one point I did 8 Wizard and 12 uh, Dark Apostate. That was okay, but I tried to push it up into Reaper pretty hard and I got squashed. So you'd have to probably do, I'll take a lot more tank feats and sacrifice almost all your spell casting and use your spell casting for healing mostly um, and just tank. But anyways, um, yeah, so, but that, that's what I'm saying. So we're full circle already. I'm already full circle. I, I, it was all about DDO to begin with. And um, that's what I, the point I don't want anybody to miss. And what made this fun was that I had no limitations on my character. And I did, really, because I made him level three. He only, I had to pick the spells that he was allotted. They stayed the same. They're not, they weren't allowed to change. We never rested. Um, we never talked about equipment or gear. He did have my stats. So he could have killed me at any point or things could have unfolded a certain way. Maybe as time goes on, I'll see some of the more nitty-gritty. But as far as I'm concerned, what struck me, why I was so attached to the character was how I was able to experience the game through him. I was him. Remember how I was describing it? I was him. He wrote that forum post. And even though playing the game like this is fun, it's just as much fun to play DDO that way. It's just not, we don't type the words and read the words. It's not as character driven or however you want to call it. It's not as, um, uh, I don't know how you would call it. It's just not by text. It's, it's all like a video game. And it just, it's just as meaningful. And you can find just as much emotional purchase. You can get as much emotional purchase from a player as I did in this play-by-forum post by giving the player that kind of option and not worrying about 
if it broke the game. I'm not going to spoil this story for you. Um, And I know the second one's already started, and I haven't read it. Um, But I know he said we've got at least one other player. And to me, it's like... It's the reason why I mentioned the balance thing in the beginning, you know. Yeah, the game has to be balanced to a certain degree, but it's laughable to think that it's in any state of balance right now. So, if that's the case, and if historically, every time large combat changes were made, rule changes were made, it's not gone over well, by or not received well by the community, then I think, at least for now... Um, Standing Stone Games and the developers should certainly work out doing what this fucking kid did and tying the lore together at least in a way that makes sense so it flows better so I can write my backstory character for my guy when I'm when I'm going through my you know 160th past life when I'm doing that and I'm like geez I don't even want to do this maybe I'll buy one of those inheritance things to change which I've done and specifically for this I'm not ashamed I bought one of the uh, Wish for Inheritance, not the not the item things, the ones that change your race. I had a character idea like uh, like when I started in September, December. It's a couple months after I started. I wanted to play it. I'd already tested it, the one life, and then a couple lives had gone by, and I just got the urge to play this character again. And I, I thought I could really figure out his feats, and I really understood the game a little bit better. So I, I bought the Wish thing, and I... When my next life, I just made the guy whatever I wanted, and I just took. Uh, I went to the store and I bought the, I bought the life, the past life I quote unquote needed. But giving your giving your players more options to play, yeah. Will will every player do that? No. Will some players do that? Yes. And, and it's not my job to come up with like how you guys monetize the game. Um, I want you to make money. I've told you that I pay for two accounts. So, and I don't bitch about the VIP. Uh, I just want the game to flourish. I think I have a couple of friends on here. They are invaluable. Um, And I don't think that you guys are antagonistic and I don't mean to sound that way. (laughs) I don't mean to sound that way. Um... Because I'm not disappointed. I'm, dis- I'm I'm very, very pleased that I had this experience on the forums. I'm very pleased that it's out there in the open and everybody can kind of read it. I was, because I run the podcast, it's not a big podcast, but guys, some people listen. <laughs> a couple people listen to this podcast. And um, it's not big or anything. I don't have music um, or, or anything like that. And I have sponsors. I just do this for fun and because I want DDO to be played by more people because I love the game and I think it's great. But I do think um, I want to impress uh, you saw in the community at large that you know the more you sh- de-shackle the player um, the more you kind of can shackle them. But the more you de-shackle them you know, the more you let his, their imaginations fly, all of our imaginations fly. 
the more we will get attached to the game, the longer we play the game, the more we're going to want from the game, the brighter and greater and more connected community you're going to have. And that, to me, having a great community is priceless. You need to have them spend money, but we're all adults here. Most of these people that play DDO, most of your, we're all got kids, and we choose to spend money on this game to, to support it, to keep it going. So I, I think you do have a gold mine already that you're not seeing, and I think, and this is directly kind of at the developers, I guess, not really my fan base or my friends who listen. But I think that there's already a fan base here that exists. And I think that um, just the fact that you've got players like this who are we're able to do, like, know this much about Eberron. I mean, I don't know how many other... I know there are, like, tabletop guys who know a shit ton. They know every where every comma is and, you know, what tense that rule was written in and why you can do with this or that. I know there are guys out there that are probably better than my buddy here. I, I guarantee you there are. But it doesn't take away from the fact that he cared enough to research the Salt Marsh and the Lazar Principalities, pack it all together, and and you know, in a really in a few forum posts, I don't know how many there are. Um, you see how much I did. I look look at my posts. My posts are not that big. I didn't actually do that much in the game, but I feel like I do. When I started this podcast and started telling you about it. What was what was it was all about me and how awesome it was, but now that I'm looking at the post and we're talking about it physically, I didn't really actually write that much, I guess. But it doesn't mean I didn't experience it like I was there, and I didn't actually take those actions and wasn't right there every for every you know whatever every sentence. I was there every sentence, man. I really really was, and I really felt like I participated. I guess a lot more than I did, but. That's amazing to me that, I don't know that it's, that's cool, man. I mean, our community is freaking cool. DDO is cool. Um, DDO is cool as shit. And Dungeons and Dragons rocks. And I think it rocks when it's, when it's back to the way it was meant to be played, you know. Well, we are agreeing to cast this greater teleport and step through this portal together and go there to land on Eberron somewhere. And then take a ship to the salt marsh, deliver a box, stop at a tavern, get thrown out. I mean, it was really fun, man. I don't know. I just, I, I kind of feel like that the, I've, I've said what I needed to say. But I do, I, I want to, if you haven't tried something like this and you don't want to use your forum name uh, to do it because you're, for whatever reason, you just don't want to because you don't want people to see you do it, which is why I think people don't want to do it. Um you can try to get on some Face Dungeons & Dragons Facebook groups and ask nicely for someone to DM you for a scene or whatever. I would recommend, for because I'm actually part of a lot of Dungeons & Dragons groups, um, many, many Dungeons & Dragons groups on Facebook. 
because um, you know I'm old and I don't Instagram I Facebook so but I, I know a lot of guys on Facebook um, and in a lot of a lot of the groups and Facebook groups so that's the best place I can say to recommend if if you just you know you wanted to get your feet wet is ask for some and just post on what get into yourself into a group and say hey any DMs out there want to DM a scene for me I, I uh I need to explore a cave. I need to do something. T- take me somewhere. Having a bad day at work. Just say something like that. And uh, you'll be surprised because the Dungeons and Dragons community itself is extremely supportive. That's what's great about DDO. People think that we're kind of like isolated. But no, man. Dungeons and Dragons is fucking great. Because you know why we're... Dungeons and Dragons is for... It's for everyone, man. It's for all of us. You know, it's, uh, you know, there's something, you know, the changes they're making are sad because the fact that it reflects our imperfect world, our imperfect values, is good. what binds us together you know we're not we're not perfect you know people make mistakes they say dumb things they don't mean sometimes they kill people i mean you see the news today how many people got murdered you can't scrub that from a manual by changing race to species or you're not going to wipe that stuff out you do it by addressing it you know but that was what was so great about this i guess I was more afraid to participate. I was more, if I can say this honestly, I was more afraid to post in this guy's thread than I was to start the podcast. And um, I got a freaking talk on the podcast. And I had some, uh, I had a rough start. <laughs> you know, and some people would say I'm still kind of rocky. But, you know, I would say that I definitely had a rough start. I just didn't know. And I, you know, I watched the YouTube videos, but I didn't know. And I, I'd done everything else that the YouTube videos tell you to do too, right? And the, the articles around the internet. But I was more afraid to participate in something like this. At first, the funny thing was, at first I was, but once I got into character and I just didn't give a shit, like it was kind of good that nobody participated because it kind of gave me, got me relaxed enough to be like, all right. You know, all right, I'll be there. I'll go there. I know where that in is. I've been. I played DDO a ton. I know where the scrapping line in is. So it's kind of fun that way. I'm starting to um, fizzle out of ideas and kind of ramble and, and and drag everything together and roll it into a ball of of um, of disparate thoughts, a big um, thought meatball, if you will. I did just want to share this experience I had, guys. Um, like I said, I haven't uh, read the new the new one. I have no idea where the story's going to go. I'm, I'm interested because even though if you read what if you read what happened, I still f- feel very much like I am this character. Um, even though, frankly, I've been able to make the decisions, but not really. Like I didn't know the impact that they would have. So just like in in life, we make decisions to go to college, to not go to college, to put college off for a year, to join the army, to get out early, to stay till your retirement. You know, even 
we make these decisions and they seem innocuous at the time, but they lead to all kinds of branches in our lives. And uh, that's this story reflects that for me. And it really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that I was able to participate in it. I hope you guys, um, if you're lore guys and you're like Dungeons and Dragons, like, um, like, uh, like I do, I, I think you would en- enjoy it. So I wanted to share um, pieces of it and hope that by sharing pieces of it, um, at least my audience would take a look at it and say, yay or nay, or maybe just try it for yourself. Uh, I don't know. It was, it was kind of fun to do it in a public forum, to be quite frank. Yes, I didn't think anybody was watching when I was responding, but then there were pieces of me that like, like, like when I pulled out the sword and I was like, I called the night sword to me and I you know, conjured the green flame. Like that whole combat thing, even though that was only one line in my head, it felt like it was more than that, number one. And, um, but I was hoping people were watching then, man, because I was being badass and shit, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's my story. I'm sticking to it, guys. I told you earlier in the week that I've been working on my teleport spell. And I'm hoping today that that teleport spell worked its magic on you. It certainly worked it on me. Going back through this story really um, was very meaningful to me. Even, like I said, even though I seemed to participate very little. I guess because there was some talk. Maybe what I'm not highlighting enough is that we did have a couple of conversations, more than a couple. We had a couple of conversations about the direction of the character. We had a couple of shots back and forth with the DMs, like, hey, what's this? Hey, what's that? But we had a couple of definitely, like, definitely a couple of letters back in the messaging system about the direction of the character and, and what I would be willing to um, agree to or uh, what would happen. And then, or he alluded that something great some great changes were going to happen and then you know I'm going to come to a decision what decisions are you going to make and and would you be okay if they if I really do make them kind of earth shattering and I don't know that's what I mean we had a couple of real conversations about that and maybe just because I agreed to that I feel like I did a lot of work (laughs) because it was like Itax Astrala is my creation like I came up with the name um, you know I came up with this backstory and then I'm kind of sharing his fate, you know, but at the same time, what's really happening is I'm making decisions for him, and my dungeon master is is kind of, I don't know if he's holding my hand, if he's, you know, if he's, I don't know, like he's like a great friend, I don't know, he's a a good friend anyways, and kind of, we just shared this experience together, it was nice, and I highly recommend it. It doesn't take away from DDO, you know, I still can't wait to finish my last life and get my uh, racial completionist. But to be quite frank, where the game is, we all know about the the issue with the lag, and I think the lag, just briefly, is a great thing. It's not a good thing, it's a great thing. It means we have way more players. And that's a good thing, and that's what we want. And that's why we're doing the podcast, that's why I'm listening, that's why a couple of you um, even found me on the forums. So, and, and it really is like two guys. <laughs> Two guys, I've, I don't know, I've been doing the podcast since January. So if you want to reach out, Mr. Fantastic, one of the forums, and just uh, hit me up, yo. Uh, I did do Kaleva's podcast a couple of weeks ago, and that was fun. That was frightening, man. That was way more frightening than just 
uh, having my own. Because you don't want to let those guys down, man. Anyways, check out his podcast, DDOcast. You can find him everywhere. Twitch, YouTube, Cyber Ears, I think. Everywhere. DDOcast is everywhere. It's the original. I am a, I'm, an, uh, I'm an acolyte, I guess. On that note, my friends, the lag is a good thing. It's a good thing they're addressing it, guys. Don't freak out. They get a patch. It's already on the, uh, the quote-unquote test server. It's really a preview server. It's basically done. They're just working out the kinks. And, um, and it's coming. In the meantime, if you're, uh, you get frustrated by the lag, however, however you're frustrated by life, frustrated by whatever, um, all you need is just the internet to get on your phone and uh, we got a second game starting, and I'm sure it's not too late to, to get in. You know what would be funny? This is... I know old boys... I know my buddy that did the DM for me. He listens to this, but I don't give a shit. I'm going to say this anyways. You know what would be funny is if too many people joined, and he had to DM several stories at once because too many people joined. That would be funny. Then he would get his comeuppance. My friends, thank you for coming. Stay as long as you'd like. I have to um, prepare the next podcast so I, I can't stay. I'll see you soon. Thanks. Thanks.